Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents we've ever had, in my humble opinion, said this. When somebody asked him, do you think the Lord is on your side? And he said, the great question is not whether the Lord is on our side, but whether we are on his. See, we don't ask the Lord to take along for the ride. That's something He asks us. He looks out at us and He says, I have this grand plan for the world and I'd like you to take a small part in it. And we either say yes or no. Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. Daniel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Neither of them said, I have this grand idea, Lord. If you just hear me out. I'm not exactly sure where you guys are in your study of judges, but uh, Peter thought that my message today would dovetail very well with what you are uh, studying, and so I want you to turn, if you would, to the book of Judges, chapter 6. I'm going to let you know a little bit about where we are going today. Um, I will give you the outline um, so that if you're taking notes, you can write these points down. We're going to look at four different things. We're going to look at Gideon's call. In Judges 6, 11 to 16, we're going to look at Gideon's fleece in Judges 6, 36 to 40. Then we're going to look at Gideon's preparations in Judges 7, 2 to 7. And finally, we'll look at Gideon's victory in Judges 7, 13 to 21. I also have some cross-references, so if you will have your page-turning fingers limber and be prepared to look those up, for me at the proper time, that would be great. I do this for two reasons. Number one, so I don't have to turn a ton of pages in my Bible. And number two, to keep you awake. So hopefully both of those things will be beneficial to all of us. And now before I begin, I'd like to open once again in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we pray that we would be humbled before you today and that we would learn what you have us to learn, and that you would be honored and glorified. Lord, I just pray that you would be better people for having been here, and that we would go forth and impact our world for you in big and small ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to start in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And this is God's call on Gideon's life. And what I like about God, there's many things I like about God, but one of the things I really like about God is that he uses people who the world would consider useless. You'll notice as God is telling Gideon his assignment, Gideon's going to give him some reasons why it won't work. But God doesn't give up on people even when they make excuses. I made excuses for a lot of years that I couldn't be used by God because I was physically disabled. 
It's like, God, if you would just heal me and give me a perfect body, then I could serve you. But God said, no, Andrew, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to get off the throne of your life, put me there, and watch what happens. Because Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it's not about me, it's about him. So let's start reading in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Josiah the Abraizrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So already we see this is a less than ideal situation because he's down in a wine press threshing wheat. Why? To hide. You know, generally when we when we want to pick someone for our team or or we think of picking someone to go on a quest, if you will, we think of someone in shiny armor Someone who's bold, maybe a little brash, and they're just ready to go. But that's not where God finds Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. I have a question for you. Do mighty men of valor hide in wine presses? According to God, they do. What's significant about this? The significance is, God does not look at you and I on the basis of who we are right now. He instead looks at us on the basis of what we can be if we allow Him to work in our lives. And so He speaks to Gideon not on the basis of who He is at that moment, but on the basis of what He's going to do through Gideon. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto to him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. I want you to consider something with me. How often does God use the oldest in the Bible? Think about this. His chosen was Jacob. He said, the older will serve the younger. That was a prophecy that he gave to the parents. Did they go about it the right way? No. But that was a prophecy that God gave to the parents. When Jacob's kids came along, did he, did he use the oldest? No. He used Joseph. Near the back of the pack. When David came along, he wasn't even invited to the sacrifice. Because 
his dad said, he's so insignificant, he would never be the one. And yet he became the greatest king Israel has ever known. And one whom God would say, even with all his sin, even with all his baggage, even with all the times he transgressed against the Lord, he would still say in the book of Acts, David is a man after my own heart who did all my will. Why? Because David said, sacrifice an offering thou dost not desire, else I would give it. Instead, he said, the sacrifices of a, of a repentant man are those of a broken and contrite heart. And that's what David had. So I, I cite these examples just to point out that God doesn't do the typical thing. When he chose disciples, he didn't choose royalty of the time. Well, let's back up further. When he chose earthly parents for the Son of God, he didn't choose royalty of the time. He chose a simple carpenter and a young girl who loved him. We know that Joseph was a just man. Even when he thought that Mary had been unfaithful, he wanted to put her away secretly. Why? Because he didn't want her to be stoned. And when the angel of the Lord came to him, he said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. This is that he took her as his wife, and he cared for her, and he knew her not until the time that her baby was born. Why? Because it had to be clear that this was no ordinary baby, that this was conceived of the Holy Ghost, that this was not Joseph's son. I don't think Joseph gets enough credit in the Christmas story because he was so instrumental in caring for Mary and making sure that she was taken care of. But then Gideon says, well, I'm of the least tribe and I'm the least in my house. Why would God come to me? But then the Lord said, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? The key phrase here is that God sent him. That's the key phrase. And then he says, I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. As we said earlier in the breaking of bread, Jesus, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Please know that if God has called you to a task, you plus God is a majority. Whatever you have to do, he will give you the power to do it. So that is God's call on Gideon. Very unlikely call. Matter of fact, I've titled this message, if you want to write down the title, Gideon, Unlikely Hero, Unlikely Hope of Israel. Gideon, Unlikely Hope of Israel. So, by way of cross-reference, can we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 8 to 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 to 10, and, then, and, also, and 
As I said earlier, if the gentleman gets there, if you could stand and read it for us, that would be great. In this passage, we see of another unlikely hero of our faith. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I was not worthy of this calling, but Jesus himself appeared to me on the road to Damascus, and he gave me a calling to serve the church of God. By God's grace, I am what I am. That's a common phrase that we use. But Paul himself uses it here because he's like, I'm not worthy to be one of these people, and yet I am. And then he talks about his accomplishments. But he says, it wasn't I who did them. It was Christ working in me. Much as that Philippians passage. You can tell the Pauline epistles because they have a style of their author. You know, he'll repeat things because these things are important to him. And if you notice one thing about Paul, you'll notice that the, the farther he gets in his Christian journey, the less he thinks of himself. Because in one of his final letters he says, this is a true saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Present tense. Because Paul knew it wasn't about him. It was about God. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria grew tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch. He made an application to Prior Richard at a local monastery, asking to be accepted as a contemplator and spend the rest of his life in the monastery. Your Majesty, said Prior Richard, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be hard because you have been a king. I understand, said Henry, the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Then I will tell you what to do, said Prior Richard, Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. When King Henry died, a statement was written, the king learned to rule by being obedient. When we tire of our roles and responsibilities, it helps to remember that God has planted, in, planted us in a certain place and told us to be a good accountant or teacher or mother or father. Christ expects us to be faithful where he puts us, and when he returns, we'll rule together again. And that was from Steve Brown. What a wonderful testimony that is, because sometimes we contend to say, well, he has a higher profile job than I do. He has a more important job in the body of Christ. But Paul, when he's talking about the body of Christ, he said, we don't elevate one part over another. The body needs the hands and the feet and the heart. We need all of it. So an important thing to understand. Second point is Gideon's fleece. I don't necessarily recommend testing God. 
But it's interesting that when people need evidence of his presence, God responds. Okay, so he's not going to let Gideon get out of this assignment. Even though Gideon would probably like that. And Gideon realizes this. So looking at Gideon, at, at uh, Gideon's fleas in Judges 6.36-40, we see this interchange between Gideon and God. Uh, Judges 6.36, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, it will be dry upon all the earth beside. Then I shall know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust out the fleece, thrust out of the fleece a bowl of water. So this fleece wasn't just damp. Notice that God wants to make it clear to us that he keeps his word. This fleece wasn't just a little damp. He wrung out of it and it filled a bowl of water. And Gideon said unto the Lord, Let not thine anger be hot against me. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry upon the fleece, and upon the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew upon the ground. I am comforted by this because it tells me that God meets us where we are. He doesn't expect us to be on someone else's faith journey. He meets us where we are. And he says, I will give you what you stand in need of. And that is what he's doing for Gideon. Gideon says, well, do this for me, God, and I'll know. And God does it, and then he follows it up by saying, do this one more thing, God, and then I'll know. And God could have said, no way, Gideon, I'm not going to do that. Just go. And he doesn't. Instead, he meets him where he is. Isn't it wonderful to know that God meets us where we are? We're all on a different journey in our relationship with him. That's why Paul tells us to make sure that we don't be the cause of stumbling in a weaker brother. Because we're all in different stages of our spiritual development. If we look at Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. This is another calling of God, of course. Um, this one was on um, Moses. And I want you to pay attention because Moses... Um, gets similar confirmation of God's call to Gideon. There's parallels here. So let's read Exodus 4, 1-9. If somebody has it, they can stand and read it for us. Reached out and took hold of the spirit and turned 
So I find it interesting here that God is giving Moses signs for the people to believe him. But I think they were also for Moses as much as they were for the people. Because Moses is in a place of doubt right now. We, we were talking about, at break, I was talking with some of the brothers about um, God hardening Pharaoh's heart and leading the children of Israel safely through the ten plagues and how he punished Egypt with them. But it was also a testimony to the Israelites, right? Because what did God say over and over again from Exodus to Deuteronomy? There's a single phrase that he says over and over again. And he says it again in Judges. I am the Lord your God who what? Brought you out of the land of Egypt. And we know that that's how Rahab became a proselytite. That's how she came into the fold of Israel and became a part of the family tree of Jesus was because she believed what had been said about the God of Israel. She said that we heard the mighty deeds of the God of Israel on the other side of the Jordan and we are afraid. And the spy said, if you hang this scarlet thread outside your window... Everyone in your house will be saved. Was she saved because she lied for the spies? No. She was saved because she believed God. And it's the same way for you and I today. She's, we are saved because we believe God. Hebrews chapter 11 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek so even though he gives us something to benefit others, sometimes he uses it to very benefit us. I feel that way whenever I study for a sermon. I know that I am being edified for the purpose of edification of others. So we've looked at Gideon's call. We've looked at Gideon's fleece. Now we're going to look at Gideon's preparation. Let's go to Judges chapter 7, verses 2 to 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many, for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to you, proclaim in the ears of the people, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from the Mount Gilead. And the return of the people... 20 and 2,000, and there remain 10,000. So we have a situation where Gideon has started with about 30,000, a little more than 30,000 people. And that was too many, so now he's got 10,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for you there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, Thou shalt go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whosoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not. So he brought down the people under the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog, lappeth him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men, but all the rest of the people bowed upon their knees to drink. 
and the lords that unto Gideon, by three hundred men, by the three hundred men that lap, I will say, will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other men go unto his place. Can you imagine being Gideon in that moment? Feeling pretty good. I still have 22,000 men. And I don't know how long it took to number these men and figure out there were only 300 left, but 21,700 men had to leave. And Gideon's probably like, I don't know, God, what's going on here, but that's what God said. Whatever God has called you to, he will equip you for. And remember, we said that it was God who does the work. Gideon didn't divide the men. Gideon didn't say, who wants to be on my side? God said, bring the men down and I will divide them for you. God was going forward through this whole thing. God is the star of the story. Gideon is the vessel. It's so important for us to remember, we are the vessels. We are epistles known and read of all men. But who are they reading about? They're reading, Lord willing, about Jesus Christ. Because he is the one that makes a difference. There's a lot of fear in the world today, a lot of uncertainty. But one thing that bothers me the most is that our people want to look everywhere but us. What did the psalmist say? He said, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh even from the Lord, which hath made heaven and earth. Does it ever astound you that the one who made heaven and earth wants a personal relationship with you? Take some time this week to contemplate that very thing. I was driving in well, my brother and I were driving into Lansing today and I was looking up at the sky about a half hour from home and the sun was just rising and I took some pictures and it reminded me of the passage in Psalm 19, verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God. Isn't it amazing that we have that gift? From him. So you'd think that the preparations would involve intense combat training, that they would sharpen their swords, that they would, you know, that they would just, you know, get even more men, as many men as possible, but the preparations actually were to get rid of men. To get rid of people who would have distracted from the great victory that God was going to give. Can we look at Psalm 33, verse 16? Psalm 33, 16. Again, if there's somebody that could read it for us, that would be amazing. Psalm 33, 16. No king saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. 
The size of the army doesn't matter. Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents we've ever had, in my humble opinion, said this. When somebody asked him, do you think the Lord is on your side? And he said, the great question is not whether the Lord is on our side, but whether we are on his. See, we don't ask the Lord to take along for the ride. That's something he asks us. He looks out at us and he says, I have this grand plan for the world and I'd like you to take a small part in it. And we either say yes or no. Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. Daniel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Neither of them said, I have this grand idea, Lord. If you just hear me out. No, in both cases, they were open to what the Lord had for them. And they prepared. We often talk about how this life is preparation for the next life. You know, work came before the fall. So I do believe that in the new heaven and the new earth, we will have work to do. God is preparing us for eternity. Paul said, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And he said, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what the Lord has promised to them that what? To them that are perfect? To them that are the greatest? No, to them that love him. I trust that as you and I. And I trust that we are preparing. Because the Bible says there's only one way to God. People are always talking about how good God is and how they want to get to God and how they want to get to heaven. Way more people believe in heaven than believe in hell. But Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Because he didn't want us to go there. And if you prepare for a trip, make sure you have gas, make sure you have food if necessary, make sure you have all the supplies for the trip. Why would you not prepare for the most important trip you'll ever take when you leave this earth? Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So either we will be present with the Lord as our defense attorney who looks at his hands and his feet and says, I paid for this. Enter into heaven. Or we come face to face with the Lord as our judge. We talked about earlier, Jesus was given the sole authority to judge. And people who say, I want to be judged on my own merit, they will be. They will be. They'll get exactly what they want. But I'm telling you right now, I am an evil man apart from Christ. And so I do not want to be judged on my own merit. I stand upon his merit. It's the only merit that I can stand on. And I will stand one day. Because Paul said, this immortal, this mortal will put on immortality. And this mortal... And, and this corruptible will put on incorruption. 
I long for that day. I've never been able to kneel. I'm not very flexible. Probably couldn't even bend my knee to that position, even if my brother could stick me up on my knee. But one day I will kneel, because the Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Every single one, even people like Hitler, will bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord. The question is, will you do it now while you have time, or will you do it later, before you face the lake of fire? That is the choice before us. I want to read this quick story about another king. And it is, and it says, there's an old story of a king, of a king of bygone days, and his clown or jester, who sometimes said very foolish things and sometimes made very wise utterances. One day the jester had said something so foolish that the king, handing him a staff, said to him, Take this and keep it until you find a bigger fool than yourself. Some years later the king was very ill and lay on his deathbed. His courtiers were called, his family and servants also stood around his bedside. The king addressing them said, I am about to leave you. I am going on a very long journey, and I shall not return to this place till I have called you all to say goodbye. Then his jester stepped forward and addressing the king said, Your majesty, may I ask a question? When you have journeyed abroad, visiting your people, staying with your nobles, or paying diplomatic visits to other courts, your heralds and servants have always gone before you, making preparations for you. May I ask what preparations your majesty has made for this long journey that he is about to take? Alas, replied the king, I have made no preparations. Then said the jester, take this staff with you, for now I have found a bigger fool than myself. We need to be ready to meet the Lord. And if we do not die before the Lord comes back, we need to be ready for his coming. First Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that with the trump of God and the voice of the archangel, and who is that? The voice of Michael the archangel. The Lord himself will descend. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, the, the strife and, and the, the uh, different political things that are going on in our world can be very scary. When you know the Lord Jesus, they fill you with hope because He is coming. Paul said, I'm going to get a crown of life which the Lord promised to me, but not to me only, but unto all those who love His appearing. So my question to you this morning is, do you love His appearing? Are you looking forward to his appearing? I am. There's no wheelchairs in heaven. They're not allowed to be there. I'll see my baby brother and all the other loved ones that have passed into glory before me. I'll meet grandparents that I've never met. It'll be a glorious day. 
But the most important thing is that I will set my eyes on him who I have pierced. The Lord Jesus Christ. As the great hymn writer Fanny Crosby said, I shall know him, I shall know him by the prince of the nails in, their hand, in his hands. I don't know if you know the story of that, but it's one of my favorites because a pastor once told her to shame Fanny with all the other blessings that you have that God took away your sight. She said, Pastor, I'm so glad that the very first thing I will see since I was a little baby will be the face of my Savior. What a wonderful hope. And it's a hope that the world does not understand. The Bible says the cross is to them that perish foolishness. They look at the cross and even people that understand Jesus as a rabbi in the secular sense to say, well, the Jews killed him. How could they do that? Nobody killed him. I mean, they did. But at the same time, what did he say? He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have both power to lay down my life and to take it up again. This command have I learned. This command have I been given from my Father. He could have jumped off the cross that day. He could have killed every single Roman soldier that was tormenting him. But he didn't because he loved me. He was thinking of me. He was thinking of you. He was like, if I don't do this, they can't come to heaven to be here. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. Who's that joy? You are that joy. So, have you trusted Christ? That's an important question. So we go to our final point this morning. And our final point is Gideon's victory. Judges 7, 13 to 21. Judges 7, 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream. The context of this is that God told him to get down to the mountain. Get down to the host. Watch the Midianites, for I have delivered them into your hand. And here's what it says in verse 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow, saying, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it. And it fell over and turned it, and the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And so it was that when Gideon heard the telling of the dream, 
and the interpretation there was that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord had delivered into your hand the host of Midianite. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in each man's hand with empty pictures and lamps within the pictures. And he said, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the three hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, when they had but nearly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke their pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all, and they cried, Sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. You notice they never touched a Midianite? They never engaged in hand-to-hand combat with a single Midianite. The Midianites turned and fled. Why? Because they weren't just fleeing Israel. They were fleeing an almighty God. When we are serving the Lord and He is doing through us what He wants to do through us, the devil has no choice but to flee. That's why we're supposed to put on the armor of God so that we can withstand the fiery darts of the evil one. But you can't do that unless you come to know the Lord Jesus. The armor of God is not something that you get because you're born in a Christian family. God doesn't have grandchildren. God only has children. Thankful for parents that brought me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but I still had to make a decision as a five-year-old boy to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I still had to make a decision to be on the side of the Lord. So my encouragement to you is to choose the Lord. Joshua said, When you come up on this side, Jordan, you have a decision to make. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By God's grace, that's my declaration today, that I will serve the Lord. And I hope it's your declaration as well. If you have any questions, feel free to talk to me. I love to talk about Jesus. Final story, and then we'll close. I have a cross-reference on here. 1 Corinthians 11.1, where Paul basically says, Therefore also imitate me, 
as I imitate Christ. What a testimony that would be to be able to tell people to imitate me because I am following Christ and I want to show you an example. That's what Gideon says here. He says, do as I do. So if you are going to tell people around you to do as you do, you better make sure that you're doing the right thing. Some people say that they're not role models. I submit to you, not only are you a role model, but you need to be careful what you're modeling. Because everybody has someone that's following them. Quick story, as I said, to end. During the Welsh Revival, a man was converted who had been a notorious drunkard. His conversion had made him sober and respectable. His conversion had made him a sober and respectable man. The publican was angry to lose such a good customer and called out to him one day as he passed the public house, What's going wrong, Charlie? Why do you keep going past instead of coming in? Charlie halted for a moment, and then with a skyward glance and a grateful tear glistening in his eye, he replied, Sir, it is not just I that keep going past. It is not just that I keep going past. We go past. Ah, yes, that is the secret. We go past. Jesus and I. Faith unites me to the living Christ so that his life flows through me and I can say, moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I have life from above. What a wonderful privilege it is for Jesus to live with us moment by moment. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your watch care over us. We thank you for the great victory that you gave to Gideon and his 300. Lord, we notice that that victory came without a single ounce of bloodshed because it was you that gave the victory and not anyone else. Lord, we thank you for the victory that is through Jesus, one that we could not earn or deserve. And we pray that we would go forth in the power of the risen Christ this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.